This episode is brought to you by Kevin Feige's Wallet. Do you constantly find your wallet running out of space as you continue to pump out one of the biggest movie franchises in history? Or maybe you love recycling content from 60 years ago into movies for the sole purpose of merchandising them into oblivion? Then Kevin Feige's wallet is the perfect product for the Marvel super producer in all of us. This wallet is weaved out of the highest quality Chinese polyester and loaded with Feige-specific features, including a little red button that adds one more hour to Stan Lee's life every time it's pressed. Better keep pressing, or you won't have any more cameos. The Kevin Foggy Wallet. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Son of a Ginger podcast, where we give you all the entertainment reviews. I'm your host, Patrick Baylor. And I'm Mason Moreau, your co-host. It's a bi-hostly podcast. Thank you again to Kevin Feige for his uh, big wallet, because his big wallet just produced something that is big in the conversation, and two different things big in the conversation that we'll both be talking about. The film Black Panther released February, President's Day, and the corresponding soundtrack album curated and sung by Kendrick Lamar, at least on a good part of songs. I'd like to first say that uh, this this ad spot for Kevin Feige's wallet was very sudden and very important to us. Where I feel like uh, our podcast has reached the next echelon. We're actually running ads now, so uh, that's very important. I do have one of these wallets myself, but let me tell you, last the the last uh, news story that came out where Stan Lee was in the hospital. I was hitting that button like crazy, man. I was making sure. You know, it's it's pretty cool that you can just save a man's life. You know, you can you can save so many lives by just making buttloads of cash. Oh yeah. And buttloads of cash this film made. So we're going to talk the film first. And in its opening weekend, Black Panther I think is I believe the fifth highest grossing movie an opening weekend? Yes, fifth highest opening weekend of all time. Yes, and the box office gross as of now after its initial weekend is $263 million and some change. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah, that is a lot of dollars. That's, it's a, a lot of ka-ching, as the kids call mm-hmm. it. A lot, of, um, a lot of bling-bling. And uh, what's exciting is because this movie, I think, is going to be a, an important cultural touchstone that I think you and I will remember. Certainly, yeah. Um, it it definitely keeps going on this uh, trend. or it's, it's unique in the Marvel Universe in that it has, I think there are only two billed white actors in the whole movie. Which are uh, uh, Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis. It's almost a 100% fully black cast, which is uh, very good. And it's, from an aesthetic standpoint it's something completely different it's cool to see something that's different and unique yeah the the cast is unique in that it is uh predominantly uh black and african-american and a cast full of oscar winners and oscar nominated folks or oscar buzzy people chadwick boseman as takala black panther michael b jordan as eric killmonger the villain lupita nuongo denai guerra daniel kalua Leticia Wright from Black Mirror, who is a joy. Sterling K. Brown, who's in there. Forrest Whitaker. Angela Bassett. Goodness gracious. We are chock full of excellent, excellent actors. And so, and then the director, Ryan Coogler, he, I think, just had a plethora of riches to really do his thing and get his actors what he wanted to do. And I would say this is very much 
a Ryan Coogler movie. You can tell that he mm. made some choices and then made it into a Marvel film as opposed to Marvel telling Ryan Coogler, hey, man, you got to do this. You got to do that. That's our brand. It was him telling them, I respect what the film is going to be meaning, what it's going to be about, and here is how I'm going to execute it. And execute, he did. Yes, I think the the themes that were touched upon in this movie, I feel, have been the deepest and most meaningful since Civil War, where there's actual, like, real moral dilemmas and moral questions that sort of make you make decisions while watching the movie. Completely. So I'll go right, like, spoilers ahead, I'll go right out and say it. Spoilers ahead. The main theme of this movie, the big question the movie wants you to ask in the movie, or that the movie asks its characters itself, is uh, if the nation of Wakanda, this hidden technological oasis within Africa was so rich and so advanced and uh, the rest of the world has been taking people out of Africa and selling them into slavery. You know, lots of injustices have been done to people who originated from Africa. If that's been happening for thousands of years in the Marvel Universe, then why did not, why did Wakanda not intervene? Why did they choose not to save their people or uh, why did why do they choose not to share uh, their advancements with the world? Instead, choosing to be this isolationist country that mm-hmm. takes care of only their group of tribes, but nowhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And so many so many people native to Wakanda see the nation or see the potential that the nation has in the the current world to be a heavy hitter, a superpower, a representative of the oppressed and the people who are less fortunate. And like, uh, and Ryan Coogler has stated, like, the big central theme of this is about, you know, about both responsibility and, I guess, like, identity. He said, what do the powerful owe to those in need? And how do you, and how do you use that power? And how you use that power separates, like, I guess, the, the good from the bad of, you could use the power in a way to, try to better someone uh, and try to help everything go forward or uh, what our villain kind of wants to do is better the people through violence as opposed to what our hero wants to do is better the people through diplomacy, talking, and helping people out. And I think uh, they get a little too diplomatic. Wakanda's history is too diplomatic in that they just want to be uninvolved and not necessarily help anyone and just help themselves instead of the whole world. And throughout the movie... You see Takala slash Black Panther. You see him kind of worry about what what is the best way to help my people, but helping the world and the nation overall. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he definitely struggles with throughout. And I'd say he shows that struggle very well with our hero and our villain. Definitely, they're 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 both two sides of the same coin. They've both been exposed to this experience that happened where uh, T'Challa's dad, Killmonger's, Killmonger's uncle was killed for betraying Wakanda and stealing vibranium. Mm-hmm. It was like immediately killed on the spot. And uh, that set off this whole chain of events. T'Challa figures out about it, uh, and he's left questioning the morality of the tradition that's been set up that Wakanda stays secret. And you do everything you can to protect the secrets of Wakanda. And so the audience empathizes with the villain and empathizes with the hero because they both are feeling the same way. The difference there is that T'Challa is kind-hearted and, like you said, maybe wants to do something diplomatic about it, whereas Killmonger wants to arm the oppressed with Wakanda's weapons and have them take over and have Wakanda 
start branching out and become an empire. Like, I mean, he, he says it in the film, burn it all. And instead of, yeah, like kind of waiting on the wayside for things to happen, grab the world by the balls with uh, all of Wakanda's resources. And Killmonger's defense is something I think worth doing with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Good idea, but not a good idea to execute it. In the film, he suggests, well, let's use all of our weapons and give vibranium guns to uh, oppressed people in the streets of America and all over and let them rise up. You're just going to get more more war. Yes, you're just going to create a, a war state. Like you, He's declaring war on the world, and it's a brash decision. If this technology is what it appears to be, then it would go to show that it would it would ultimately be effective, but probably start World War Three or something. I think, yeah, and I think this film, I, I, I hope some folks in Washington uh, watch it, because I think it teaches a lot about uh, good diplomacy. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that's, that's the biggest thing in the, the film, is like, they talk about how is the best way to govern, how is the best way to take care of our people, and the best way to keep things going through and pushing forward, and you know, this isn't a political uh podcast so i won't talk on this point too much but uh you bring up a good point because this movie does take a lot of time to explain to you every character's every main character's motivation and backstory and we understand uh, yeah, how they serve uh the country of wakanda like uh denai gara she is the the king's guard essentially she right. cares about the king how they're doing. Daniel Kaluuya's character, he is the army. He cares about... I believe his job actually was making sure that the nation stays hidden. Yeah, so nation stays hidden. He, he's there, He's essentially like their secretary of yeah. defense, how yeah. I'd like to think of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we see how every character has a role, and as it goes, as the film goes, we see, okay, well, based on this power change and power struggle, what do I owe Wakanda? You know, Denai Guerra, she's thinking, well, I help the king, and then, you know, in the latter part of the film, Eric Killmonger, he is the king. He right. he he becomes uh, the Black Panther, and then of course, luckily, Denai Guerra has a change of heart because she realizes, okay, well, I, I serve Takala, I serve the real Black Panther, the goodness of Wakanda. Yeah, the the fact that you said it could it could sort of teach a lesson. It is a good portrait of making sure that you understand that everyone's viewpoint, everyone's opinion, has been formulated by something that happened to them in in life. Something that is no more or less valid than any other person's opinion. It's just the way people feel is always influenced by things that happen to them or what they were taught or what they've learned. This movie sort of does help you understand that in a way by giving you clear motivations for each character yeah. and understanding where they stand. This is a, a great film that you know it really talks about those points and lets us you know really talk and converse about what happens in the real world. And I think that's mm-hmm. important for a film to really be good. It injects itself into conversation in real life instead of just film, you know, instead right. of what just happens in the film. But to talk about the film, this is a cool-looking film. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I kind of I kind of disagree with you there. Um, How so? I think the, the visual style of the movie was not what drew me in. I really loved the action scenes with Black Panther in Civil War. The style of Civil War and Winter, Winter Soldier is very different than what's in this movie. More so with and the then, fight scenes? Yeah, with, with the fight scenes. But then, so here's my thing. We saw that city in Thor Ragnarok, whatever that city was, the Jeff Goldblum place. Junk Town. Junk Town, whatever it was. 
It's not what it was called. That's literally that's a map in Overwatch. We've just been playing too much but, uh, Overwatch, yeah. But yeah, that city in Thor Ragnarok, Wakanda just seemed like a like that city with a different coat of paint. You know, there's like a big spire where everything happens, where the leader is, and then there's all these little buildings, and then you have a couple scenes where the characters are walking around some market, and it was like it was literally the same series of shots. Except most of the buildings in Wakanda are dominated by these metallic grays and blue for like the jet engines and all those things. So, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I think Ryan Coogler also went on the record saying, you know, he hired some people in his creative team to kind of make sure it doesn't, that doesn't happen. And that this film like looks and has a more unique feel to it. Like I know with his music director and his production designer and I think like his art director, he got them from other projects that he's worked on, like uh, Fruit of Val Station, and leaned on them to be like, you guys have worked with me before. Let's make something truly different, truly unique that isn't the same thing that Marvel's people kind of churns out in their other films. So you're saying that even though he brought his own team, that it still like looked more of the same? I think I just my overall problem is just with the design of Wakanda itself. Uh, it just seemed it seemed like so much was recycled. Picturing the establishing shots of Wakanda and the establishing shots of that city in Thor Ragnarok, whatever it was called, I have like the same mental image in my head for both scenes, except for Wakanda is gray with blue accents and like orange sunlight, mm-hmm. and then this the city from Thor is like reds, blues, and like a bright sky. That's fair, but I think when we go to that city, I th- I feel like we're rarely there. I feel like we're either inside like the little king's chambers or more so we're outside like in the like the fighting the waterfall where they fight and uh you know or the different locations like I know they go to South Korea. I thought it was unique enough. Maybe yeah, you know, maybe... I, I think maybe what you're talking about, like, I can see the Marvel boardroom of maybe when they were thinking of Thor and like, hey, what if we did this, that, and this? Uh, I don't know. Let's maybe keep that idea, but maybe scrap the rest for something else. Oh, yeah, that could maybe be what Wakanda looks like. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's what, I, that's what I'm feeling here is that I, I feel that I... That they, they missed the chance to make Wakanda uh, an icon. You mm-hmm. know, like... They they missed the chance to make the city itself as much of an icon as the characters are. You know, like if we're talking about this movie being remembered, Wakanda it, wasn't much of a character. Yeah, is it going to be remembered for this bumbling city that that everyone wants to live in this uh, quote unquote like Tomorrowland type of place where it's just we've gotten everything figured out and life here is beautiful and were light years ahead of everyone. It didn't necessarily give you that feeling. You know it's there. You know that's the way it is by them showing you the technology and things, but it it doesn't have that personality or that allure that makes you want to go there. If you bring up that concern, that might be concerning for some latter movies because I know uh, Avengers Infinity War Part 1 comes out, that comes out in May. I know that is a lot of that is set in Wakanda. I wonder if they will make some more changes to give the city some more character. And definitely a struggle to do that because it is a made-up city. And, you know, they're taking, you know, right. things of like what traditional places in Africa look like and then making this sprawling metropolis that is futuristic. 
But uh, you, like, so on to more about the special effects. The scene where they're going after Claw mm-hmm. in Korea, I, I think it was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. It felt like a James Bond type. It felt like Casino Royale, like immediately, because you know he's he's got a CIA buddy there, and uh, they're all there to to take down this terrorist, but they're doing it in a composed and diplomatic manner. I would say, I, and I, I think there's some like nice little like James Bond inklings throughout the film. Yeah, that make it really yeah. work as like an action film because uh, that scene, yeah, all all from them going into the the bar and then the car up to the car chase. That's a great one. And that other point a little bit earlier when uh, Shuri, played by Letitia Wright, when she shows Takala like all of his new gadgets and yeah, what they do. Yeah, all the, the that gadget thing is literally. It's like, hey, M Shuri's Q, James awesome, Bond, yeah. yeah, or M, M or Q. It's Q. 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 M Q. is M is the leader. Yeah, M is like kind of the M boss. is kind of like uh, Denai Guerra's character a little bit. Yeah, give or take. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of like sprinklings of James Bond in there, and I guess you could see Ryan Coogler's influences when he was making the script uh, way back when. Uh, sure. And you know, I've been a proponent for Idris Elba as James Bond ever since like someone I saw someone bring that up. That'd like be cool. having having a black James Bond, I totally want it to be Idris Elba. Uh but you know, like that I wanted to be Letitia Wright. I want to put her in everything now. Oh, yeah. She's so damn good. This would be the next best thing. If uh you know, if if we don't get Black Bond, this to me serves as a worthy substitute of black panther in general Yeah, black panther and here's the thing uh leticia Wright, uh she was definitely a breakout character uh and something i didn't realize like i think i saw like a, a nice meme somewhere on the internet but it's totally true that she in fact is a disney princess oh yeah yeah you know i mean she is a princess and this is a disney-owned movie Therefore, disney princess sure so and because uh it was such a breakout role and uh, such positive response. I would love if they like at least made like some kind of like fun animated series about her. Sure. So I mean, Disney, if you guys are listening, you need a show on Disney XD starring Letitia Wright as Shuri. Yeah, because she was a Let pretty <laughs> like she she served as a comic relief, and she also served as the the window into the technological aspect of Wakanda and how Wakanda can really like grow and how they've only grown right and there's like there's a scene in the challenge ceremony where she's sort of rolling her eyes at all of the pleasantries that have to go on for this thing all all the ritualistic tribalism this is so old hat why are we doing this and i like that they touched upon that because it would have otherwise it would have seemed too weird to be having these sort of antiquated rituals in this society that's supposed to like have already perfected space travel and that kind of thing I mean that that also shows uh in the last like really big theme uh that I think the Coogs uh shows through this is the the old versus the new and how to best achieve yes what Wakanda needs to be you know mm-hmm. and they are so they have such tradition you know they have this big challenges and which if someone different wins they get into power and you know like we almost we could have seen uh, the the Gorilla City tribe with Mimbaku, like them go and win and be the leads of the of Wakanda if they wanted to, even though they're a tribe that tries to be isolationist and not interact with anyone. 
Mm. Uh, but the fact that if they win a challenge, they could do that. And we see that with Killmonger. He's this outsider. No one knows who he is. But since he has that birthright, he can totally he can totally get it. Right. Yeah. And then and then yeah, see that with like all the technology and everything new that comes from Wakanda, and see where they can go, and but yet not forget about their culture. Uh. Well, overall, I like Black Panther. I think that the dramatic parts and the parts that were slower were way better and more engaging than the action scenes. I wanted to see more expansion on the dramatic parts of this movie. I think this film worked because it was this almost Shakespearean drama set in, you know, just in Africa that I feel like I haven't seen in a film in a while. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a movie set in Africa about Africans. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was really, really unique. And the fact that it was more of this, you know, struggle for power type of movie first and and then an action movie, I think is what made it work and made it unique. I think Marvel is aware that, you know, we're going to keep putting out superhero action movies, but they got to be more than a superhero action movie. They got to have something that makes each film unique and be like, oh yeah, I remember the Black Panther movie, which which is like a, a royal drama. And then I remember Thor being a fun buddy road trip comedy. When, you know, initially, like the first Thors were this big Shakespearean play and literally like half of the cast, or if not all of them, were in some big theater production. Directed by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, who's... Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah, London, London theater is hell, you know? He's, yeah, he's very uh, grandiose. Grand, yes. Oh, yeah, I remember after we saw Thor, we just talked like this for yeah. the longest time. Yeah, so, yeah, and I think that's why Black Panther works, though, is that it is a royal drama that has fight scenes and, and has some spy elements as well that we talked about earlier. Yeah, so overall, I liked it. I would recommend it. Uh, but is it the, is it the be-all, end-all of the Marvel Universe? Is it, is it pushing it in a bold new direction? No. But it's exploring some themes that are a little bit deeper and more dramatic than your standard uh, Marvel movie. I feel like this is the only Marvel movie that really had a cultural touch point that resonated. You know, like in like some other films, you know, I know like Spider-Man, they talked about working class versus, you know, the, the rich superheroes. And that was, that was like a good try. I feel like this is the first one that made you think, how can we best help underrepresented or underfunded or uncared for people? It was the first movie I think I've ever seen that had a token white guy. And they were both token white guys and that they were on a J.R.R. token film called The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, ha. That's funny. Claw and then they have Martin Freeman watching it. I was like, oh, cool. I mean, like, it's it's complete, like, reversal of what we sort of understand as a cliche. And I thought that was funny. And it was, uh, Martin Freeman did a good job and... Ryan the Coog's Coogler knew what he was doing. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. And him and Marvel and all of them really knew what they were doing. And the other big media that came out in correspondence with this film, which was the Black Panther soundtrack album. Yes. And this is a unique soundtrack album uh, because, you know, there there have been soundtrack albums that come before from, like, a lot of buzzy artists that make new original material. One big one that comes to mind are the Twilight and Hunger Games soundtracks. Yes. Those are both for major, major, major audiences. Both are first, like, really niche audiences in that, you know, they're uh, YA films. They use the soundtrack to get way more people excited, I think, about the film. Right, yeah. It's a a smart marketing move. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, when you think of... 
you think of Black Panther now, and it, it's sort of this celebration of black culture, magnifying glass on cultural issues right now. What better way to keep on that train of celebrating black culture than to get some of the best black working artists today together yeah. to make it's big hip hop, hip hop, R and B, and there's some like uh, some African centered music in there as well. Yeah, there's there's one artist straight out of Africa on this project. Music that has straight up African American or just black in general DNA that sadly has been appropriated by many many white folks but that's a whole other thing but yeah like it adds yeah to the celebration of culture that this film wants to be and wide audience to get a lot of people excited and care for uh marvel was genius in getting one of the biggest rappers of our generation right now and kendrick lamar in him half top dog entertainment yeah and then yeah all of top dog for the most part in having i think four to five original kendrick lamar songs for about half of it, and then the other half, it being curated by either uh, people from Top Dog Entertainment, or you know, you just hear Kendrick in the background, just like yeah, so much just DNA of our biggest rap artist is in this album. Yeah, exactly, and uh, I I liked the selection of artists on this album. I'm a big fan of a majority of them. Some of them I have never heard of, but I think that was a good thing because it also introduced me to some lesser known people who maybe should be getting a little bit more exposure. I like Kendrick. He knows when to take a back seat, but he does, in one way or another, appear on every track on the album. And in that way, he's sort of like the overseer, the the narrator, the person who sort of guides you through the album. And I I liked that about it. I liked that it was it was a project that you knew was a compilation project, but was sort of shepherded by this artist that that you know for a fact knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, occasionally Kendrick will just pop in and be like, hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still yeah. here. And he does a cool thing. The album music from and inspired by Black Panther. Yeah. So, some is straight up for the film. And, you know, we, we've heard some of the songs. Like, I know uh, one that you really enjoyed. Uh, Ops. Ops from Vince Staples. Like, that's in there. And that's, like, a pretty big in the chase scene. So, some, some of the songs are straight up in the film. But others, you can tell... Hey, we got this great artist that has this great song. I think it will fit in the overall album narrative. Sure, sure. It might not even talk about and touch a point what happens in the film, but that's okay. And then, but with Kendrick sometimes sprinkling himself into some, he has made some of the songs about the album. And specifically, like some songs end or begin with him saying, I am Killmonger. I am Black Panther. There's like I think in the beginning of a uh, big shot with Travis Scott, the second to last track on the album. Mm-hmm. There's just a guy in the background that goes Wakanda, <laughs> <laughs> and I I kind of laughed at that. It was just, it was kind of out of place, but like you, it makes sense. I mean, you just want to throw some shit from the movie in there because like some rap songs, they'll be like you'll hear someone just straight up yelling out Brooklyn, yeah, Atlanta, and then they got got someone singing Wakanda, <laughs> rep my city. Rep my city. And yeah, they're, they're repping their city. And that kind of works in that it's like, hey, maybe this is this album can be part of like Wakandan culture. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That could be defining what Wakandans are listening to in the fictional world. Because, you know, it's all fiction. Let's you just imagine that a little bit, which is makes it that much more fun. Certainly. A fun album. Uh, so let's go through the track list right here. So yeah. first off, we have the title track, Black Panther, which is just by Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. 
And I think this is this one was the most like about the movie. Yeah, it was the most uh, on the nose. Who would have guessed a song called Black Panther is about Black Panther? <laughs> you know, Kendrick references the movie in his bars quite frequently in this track. But I thought I, I thought it was I thought it was all right. It was just like a good one to open up the track, and then uh, all the stars comes on, which. I didn't even know that we yeah we saw it live. Kendrick Lamar he had uh, his halftime performance for the college national championship, and we went to what was it? It was like a dress rehearsal kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was a rehearsal sound check. Yeah, and I think they were what they were just trying to get some good video for ESPN for when they actually showed it something like that. So yeah, they had us wave our hands up. So we got to listen to all the stars live, not once but twice. Yep, and we could have done it three times, but we left after the second performance. Okay, so then after all the stars, we have 10 with Schoolboy Q, 2 Chains, and Saudi, which you have Kendrick doing the hook on. This was one of my favorite tracks on the album. This is a song I can hear bumping at a party or... Yeah, uh, it's it's a banger for sure. I'm, you know, I'm constantly impressed by what Schoolboy Q puts out uh, to the point where I'm always anticipating a new release from him just because it, everything he puts out is great. And this one was just another example of that where it's just a good top dog collab that that paid off and is yeah. a satisfying listen i agree i really i really like this one and i think i'll always always remember it for another reason in that uh i think when i first listened to it i was driving up to work and on 85 i think around this song someone clipped my mirror <laughs> as i was merging someone just barreled ahead as i was merging clipped my mirror and then I tried to stop to like talk to them, but instead they just sped away, and I never saw them again. So if you see a car with a, a skew right mirror, let a brother know. Yeah, so I just remember that with this song. So next we have The Ways with Khalid and Sway Lee. Who I didn't, Sway Lee I didn't know was from Ray Strumman, which I didn't know was a group. I thought it was just a dude named Ray Strumman. And yeah, I I liked how his voice just kind of, He's got a good voice, man. Yeah, they both have good voices. And this was a good, slow R&B song that is sort of like... So he's talking about Power Girl. It stays with the theme of a superhero movie. It's like talking about this girl who she's she's got powers, or, you know, like some sort of powers. I, I like how it strayed far enough away from the comics enough while still being slightly referential. You know, from, from the comic book movie aspect of it. It wasn't like thematically like that, but you're still talking about. Because you think and wonder, like when this project began taking shape, that like you know Kendrick just called like all of his favorite artists or artists that he's worked with, and hey man, uh, we're gonna make some music for the Black Panther. If you have some lyrics or some superhero-y stuff, or want to make something that like leads leans into superhero, go nuts, go do it. I wonder sure. if that's what Power Girl comes from. And this, I think, I think this song is the one that gets stuck in my head the most, and the one that I play in the car the most. Yeah. So I, I, I really did like that one. It's a good one to hum. And then the next one, you have also said you really liked for the sake of that. It's just so damn odd. It's called Ops with Yugen Blackrock. Yes. Uh, this, this song was I felt was the weirdest track on the album. There's a song called Zealots of Stockholm on Because of the Internet by Childish Gambino that I really like listening to because it, it has this really odd structure and crazy, like, booming, scary bass line. And I felt the same way with this one, where it, it almost was like 
like a traditional African like tribal drum that was processed over to just be like an electronic production. Like you could, I could totally have seen what they were able to achieve with with drum machines in this track being played on drums in some sort of like tribal ceremony or you know war dance or something like that. I really liked that because it was it was the weirdest song. And then I was so surprised to see the song show up in the movie in the car chase scene. You were surprised? I was surprised. I was surprised because I thought that, like, it was the only track on the album where I was like, this one's probably not going to be used in the movie because it's too weird. See, and I thought the exact opposite when I first heard it. Because it was so weird, I think I was like, I, I feel like this is weird because it sounds more like a film score and that it will go great in some kind of intense sequence. And it fit perfectly where it was, which was that uh, South Korea car chase. But they, they have a unique mix for the movie because I think they sped the tempo up a little bit. So the beginning of the album is pretty top heavy. I liked all the track, all the, the first six tracks on this album were all some of my favorites. And then towards the middle, it gets a little bit lighter. There's a song I Am uh, by Georgia Smith and Paramedic. They're good songs. They're not the most yeah, memorable. They're, they're good songs. They're not the most memorable. Uh, I didn't know the artists. I'm glad I do now. So I'll be able to see what they put out uh, later. I would say as the album goes, it's more and more peppered with, oh, who's that? Oh, I really enjoyed that. But who is that person though? But you know, then there's ones peppered in with like, oh, there's Anderson Pack. And yeah. there's, there's Kendrick and Future now. Exactly. Bloody Waters with Anderson Pack and James Blake, uh, an Absol track, I felt was the best song lyrically. Lyrically? There's that one line. He says, it's warfare. Is warfare? No. There's a, that line there that really stuck out to me. A lot of the raps on this album don't really take the time to ask these cultural questions that the movie sort of did also. But I felt like in Bloody Waters, that definitely happened. So next we have the top track from this album, I believe, let's see, which is King's Dead with Kendrick Lamar, J-Rock, Future, and James Blake. If you haven't seen the music video for this song, it's pretty awesome. They use like a really rare lens and an 8K camera to get these multiple football field length zooms of Kendrick and the other rappers all standing on top of skyscrapers, and they zoom in very far so it looks like they're right in the frame. I didn't know they had a music uh, video for this. Yeah, they do have a, they have a music video for this song. Also, King's Dead is in the top five on Kendrick's uh, most played songs on Spotify right now. The future verse is laughable. Yeah, because what is it? It's so bad. I don't understand. Like... It, Future apparently holds the record for most platinum albums released in like a certain period of time. Really? Yeah. Good for Future, but uh, I didn't think Future did that. You know, it, it, he's really just an example of the fact that platinum plaques don't necessarily mean your music is good. No, it means that you can you can go into a studio with a sick beat made by, I think this one is, Mike Will Made It, uh, and then just hope that the label just pushes it as forward as they can i think that's i think where future's success has stemmed from of just having a great team behind them to get on the air you mm-hmm. know? and I, so like the overall structure of this album like i don't i don't think we need to keep reading all these tracks no 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 uh but the the overall structure of this album starts out or it, it goes like big names big names hit you with the big names hit you with the artists you should be listening to a couple more big names 
couple more littler ones. Yeah. End with the big names. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it flip-flops. I liked that structure. I liked just listening to it and not looking at the tracks, listening to it in the car and just having the album play. It's like, okay, here's here's these rappers I know. Here's these artists I love. Here's these artists I don't know about. And uh, maybe I should know about them because what I'm hearing from them right now is really good. And so it's it's a good platform for lesser known artists. And, you know, now on their resumes, they can say they were on a project with Kendrick Lamar. Future and J Rock and Absol and Anderson Pack and SZA. SZA and Khalid, you know everyone who's who's really made waves. As we say all these names, it just reminds me of like same thing that goes back to the cast of this film. It's a lot of big names that are huge in the acting world, and now we have all these big names that are huge in each different part of rap and hip hop and R and B with these people that we haven't seen or right. heard from very much. It, it achieves the same thing the film did. For music, we we see we see and we hear from people that succeed, and now the people that are succeeding are doing their best to help the uh, the some musicians on here that I wouldn't call them struggling because I'm sure they're making a lot from this, but like we said, are un, unheard of or not represented very much. Yeah, yeah, certainly. A little, little full circle there, huh? So I would uh, I would say that if you haven't heard Black Panther. Uh, the album or music from and inspired by the movie definitely go check it out it's a good listen it's got some great variety of tracks on it variety ultimately this black panther craze was definitely appropriate as uh, black history month i mean they they chose the right month to debut all of this the same release time as deadpool i think they learned that you can put out a big fun uh, superhero movie not in the summer and in the middle of February. Yeah. I think it worked very well doing that too. And I think they were very smart in doing all this also on President's Day because I think like it's... Oh, it was a big weekend. Yeah, their, their, yeah. Their, weekend also, their weekend opening numbers I think will be beefed up a little bit because the weekend, quote unquote, went from Thursday to the end of Monday for them, which is... Yeah, exactly. More days, more money. This month, if anything else, was a really good month for music and uh, movies just because of all this uh, Black Panther stuff that we got. Satisfied with what I got this month in terms of entertainment. So, uh, some big entertainment. Uh, And I think what is next for these wonderful artists, I know that uh, Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan teaming up on another film soon is based on a true story about the Atlanta cheating scandal back in, I think, 2010. A bunch of students at this Atlanta school cheated on their standardized tests. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what they're joining forces for. And yeah, I'll watch I'll watch Michael B. Jordan in anything. Yeah, he's a he's a great actor. They're they're a great director actor team. Like I think they're gonna be our next like Scorsese and like De Niro slash Scorsese and DiCaprio. And if Kendrick Lamar can keep helping out and popping in on their projects from time to time, they'll make it all the more better. But yes, Black Panther and its album. Some great things that I think will be remembered for a while. Mason, you got anything else to say? Uh, Only that we are now officially 100% hosted and on iTunes. Uh, We will will be showing up on the Google Play Store and Stitcher soon. uh, Sooner rather than later. If you like what you hear, totally hit subscribe and keep listening to us. Uh, If you want to leave us a rating as well, that'll help us move up the charts a little bit and get discovered by more people. Share to your friends. 
Yeah, share with your friends. Tell everyone about us. We're we're pretty cool, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Uh, cool enough. <laughs> otherwise, keep watching movies. I've been Mason Moreau. And I have been Patrick Bader. Have a good day.